This, uh, this week and next, we're going to conclude our series on knowing God by addressing a question that each of us have asked ourselves at one point in time or another, and that is the question, does God really care? I mean, does God really care about me as a person? Does God really care about you? Does God care about all of us collectively? I mean, does he, does he really care? I think that if we were honest with ourselves, we've all got, gone through periods in our lives where we find ourselves wondering, you know, does God really care? Does anyone really care? You know, or am I in this thing alone? I like the story that I heard not too long ago about two eminently successful psychologists who were well-respected and also very wealthy because of their practice, and they occupied an office in the same building. One was 40 years old, the other one was above over 70, and at the end of one of those unbearably hot and draining days where they both had a full calendar of patients that came in, they were riding down in the elevator together. And the younger man was looking at the older man, and the younger man was just, just you could just see he was spent, and he had a, just, a, just, a, oh, just a terrible day. You know, his tie was undone, his coat was hanging, he was dragging as he was walking out. And he marveled as he looked over at the older man, and he was just as fresh as can be. And he said, what in the world? I don't understand how in the world you could be so fresh at the end of just a long and exhausting day. I mean, how can you sit there day after day and listen hour after hour to people's problems and all the things that they're going through and look as if, you know, you just got up and you're ready to go? He goes, how can you listen to that without getting worn out? And the older man just looked at him, smiled and said, who listens? And I thought, you know, isn't that the truth? Because oftentimes the people that we even pay to care about us don't really care. If you've ever gone into a busy doctor's office with all the new medical programs and HMOs and PPOs and who cares about yous and all those kind of things, and, and, you, and you sit in a room with just a whole bunch of people and they just usher you in one after the other, what do you got? Oh, you're coughing. This is what you need. Next, you're out of here. And, and it's like, but, but don't you care? No, not really. I don't have time to care. Well, does anybody care? And see, and we get to the point where in this world that we live in, we begin to wonder does even God care anymore? And that's a real valid question. I, I don't know about you, but throughout this series, I've learned a lot about God. You know, as we go through this and you, and you begin to look at what the Bible teaches about the person of God, we learn that there's overwhelming evidence on a daily basis that God exists. We can see it in creation. We can see it as, as He demonstrates that He is there. We know that He exists. We know that He communicates to us either through the Bible or through the things that He does in nature or through the universe or even through His Son, Jesus Christ, we know that God is shouting to His creation that He is there and that He exists. We learn that He's personal. We are the way we are in many ways because God is as He is. Yet He is without sin. And we learned last week that He is holy by nature and, and character. And our holiness is based on how we live our life. We are not holy by nature, but God is. And so we've learned that. we learned that He's present everywhere, that He knows all things, that He can do all things, and that there's nothing impossible for God. And as we learn these things and that He's trustworthy and we can depend on Him, there's some things that seem to be contradictory and confusing at best if you stop and really consider the question, does God really care? And I'll give you an illustration that happened this past week and see if you can identify or have ever been in this situation. Last week, a four-year-old boy in our neighborhood was hit by a car, and he was killed. The girl who hit him was a friend of our oldest daughter, Dana. She's 20 years old. 
the boy who got hit was in a family of several boys, and one of which I coached for two different years on, on our Little League teams in the city of Villa Park. He was sitting out at the curb with his two other brothers and his dad, and they were making lemonade together as a family. The dad turned around, went into the house just for a moment to fill up the pitcher. As he was in the house, he heard a scream, he heard the brakes hit, and he heard a thud, and he ran outside and saw his four-year-old boy lying in the street. He died because of his injuries. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with what I know about God. My dilemma is I know what we've learned, that God knows all things. I know he is present everywhere. I know that he can do all things. So the question that has to come into your mind, if it has never, it will at some point in time when you go something that, through something that hits very close to home, and that is, that why couldn't God have done something about that? I mean, why couldn't he have stopped that from happening? Could he not have prevented it if he had chosen to do so? Could he have not have stopped the car, stopped the whole day as far as even going out and selling lemonade? Could he not have stopped the dad from going in the house? Could he have not have stopped the driver from coming at the time that she did? Could he have not have done any one of those things? And the obvious answer is yes, he could have. And see, when God doesn't do what we think he should do, we begin to believe that God doesn't care the way that we care. We look at God as sometimes as the Superman character. Surely if Superman saw a little boy in the street and the car was coming, wouldn't Superman jump in front of the car and stop the car? We've seen Superman sweep down and grab you know, impending victims from dangerous situations, and we see it on a regular basis. Surely Superman, if someone fell off the cliff, would certainly swoop down and pick that person up before they hit the ground. We see that all the time, and, and we believe that that's how God should be. And so we get really confused as we ask the question, and, and I know that I do, does God really care? Could not have God stopped that from happening? Maybe you've been through a situation that's caused you to doubt the concern of God. Maybe you can relate to Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, whose brother Lazarus was sick and was dying. And Jesus knew about it, but he delayed in coming to their home. And when he finally got there, they asked the question, Where have you been? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have done something about this. And the smallest verse in the Bible, the shortest passage in the Bible, is John eleven thirty-five, 35. And it just says, and Jesus, doesn't even say and, it says, Jesus wept. He was concerned about what was going on, but there was some confusion as to who God is. Many times we really don't know God the way that we say that we do. When situations like this occur in our lives, we begin to question what we really know about God. Does God really care? Surely you could have done something if you would have been here. Where have you been? In 1981, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a best-selling book. It was called when, good thing, when Bad Things Happen to Good People. And he brought this whole issue about God's love and care to all the minds of those who have read the book. But in the book, on page 134, he writes this. I believe in God, but I do not believe the same things about him that I did years ago when I was growing up or when I was a theological student. I recognize his limitations. 
He is limited in what he can do by laws of nature and by the evolution of human nature and human moral freedom. I no longer hold God responsible for illnesses and accidents and natural disasters because I realize that I gain little and I lose so much when I blame God for those things. You see, I can worship a God who hates suffering but cannot eliminate it more easily than I can worship a God who chooses to make children suffer and die for whatever exalted reasons. Some years ago, when the death of God theology was a fad, I remember seeing a bumper sticker that read, My God is not dead, sorry about yours. I said, I guess my bumper sticker now reads, My God is not cruel, sorry about yours. See, the problem with Rabbi Kushner is that he was writing out a personal experience. He had suffered the loss of one of his children through the illness of progeria. And he began to struggle with the dilemma that many of us struggle with, and that is if God can do all things, why did he not care and prevent this from happening? So his conclusion became, it's easier to worship a God who cannot do all things than to consider for a moment that there is a God who does not care enough to do all things. See, it's easier to worship a God who is limited in some ways and would do something if he could than it is to worship a God who in some way believes that illness and sickness and disease is a part of his plan for mankind. The problem with Rabbi Kushner is that God, his God is limited, and the God of the Bible is not. His God could not possibly have anything to do with illness and suffering disease, but the problem is the God of the Bible does. See, the problem is that God often uses illness and suffering and disease to bring about a much exalted purpose, to bring about his purpose and his plan, to bring about glory for himself. As we read through the Bible, as the Apostle Paul said, you know what, it was in my weakness that I learned that I have strength through God. It was in my times of suffering that I felt his presence. It was in those moments of distress that I realized how strong and powerful God really is. But see, Rabbi Kushner would rather believe that God did not allow that. and He couldn't stop it. He couldn't prevent it. So he must be limited. Certainly he cares. See, he really doesn't know the God of the Bible. And we'll begin to talk about that as we go through this session of does God really cares. You see, many of us and many of those who don't know God don't know him because the only thing they know about him is what they hear from people who say they know him. You follow me? What we talked about last week is, isn't it easier for a person to believe that God is trustworthy if his people are committed to being trustworthy? Isn't it much easier for people around you who do not know God yet to believe that God is trustworthy as they identify with your trustworthy character? That you're committed to truth, that you're committed to doing what is right, and that you're reliable. When you say you'll do something, you do it. It's easier to believe that God is trustworthy if we are trustworthy. Isn't it also logical to believe that God cares if we demonstrate that we have a concern for people around us? See, I can believe in a God who cares if I see concern and care being demonstrated by those who say they believe in Him. But many times we're very hypocritical. God loves you. The first thing that we want to tell people when we meet Him as we're sharing with them is what? God loves you. Well, if God loves me, and you know God, and you don't love me, it's real hard for me to believe that your God loves me. But if you love me, it's easier for me to understand how God could love me. 
Does God really care? If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4 as we address the question and look at what the Bible has to say. Because this is a very real issue. I mean, if you wrestle with this, stop and think about it. Is God limited and he cares or does he allow things to happen in our life because he does love us? And is there a contradiction between the two? The Bible clearly speaks on all these issues. In 1 John chapter 4, we read about and get some insights as to how God demonstrates his love. 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7, we read this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's interesting, as we go through a series on knowing God, one of the insights as to whether or not we truly know God is how we demonstrate love in our life towards other people. Those who truly know God will demonstrate a love toward others according to how the Bible gives us illustration after illustration of what true love really is. He says, but those who, that the, those who are born of God also know God. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. By this the love of God was made known or manifested in us or seen through our lives that God had sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the recourse for our sins, to be you know, the mercy seat for our sins, to find grace through him for our sins. God answered to the problem of sin was the person of Jesus Christ. But there's some great insight here as far as God's love is concerned because God's love is one of his many attributes. Just as God is holy, God also is love. Not that he demonstrates love, though he does, but he himself is love and embodies love. Everything that he does embodies his love for the objects in whom he loves. You know, we're often confused about it. We believe love means that God should always respond in a certain way. Yet we've learned that that's not who God is. God doesn't always respond the way that we think he should, but he tells us why he is who he is and why he does what he does. But he is love. Just as we talked last time about the fact that God cannot even think an evil thought nor do an evil deed because his character, in him there is no darkness at all, there is no sin in God. The same is true of the fact that he cannot do anything outside of love because he is love. He cannot think an evil thought because he's holy. He cannot do anything outside of love because he is love. It doesn't just say God loves. It says God is love, which is fascinating. Let me ask you a question. Throw out some answers. Whom does God love? And how do you know that God loves whom you just said that he loves? Whom does God love? Okay, God loves everybody. How do we know that? Because the Bible says it. Where does the Bible say it? And what does the Bible specifically say about the fact God loves everybody? Thank you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, the world, the cosmo in general, all people. For God so loved all people that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We know from the Bible that God loves all people. So as you come in contact with all people, you can very clearly and definitely tell people as we meet them, hey, God loves you. Who else does God love? 
Huh? He loves sinners, which would include all people, right? We know that. He loves sinners. And we'll see that in a moment. Who else does God love? See, this is really fascinating to me if you stop and think about this, that God is concerned, and we want to believe that, but if I ask the question, well, whom does God love, we can't even answer it. That's interesting, isn't it? He loves, he loves children. He loves all people. Right? Look, look with me for a moment at John chapter 16. John 16. See, and this is really important to understand before we get into the, um, the gist of what we're here to discuss. And that is, you know, whom does God love? Well, if God loves all people, and we know that he does, whom else does he love? And he's very specific about it. In John 16, look at verse 27. We read this. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. Speaking of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and believe that I come forth from the Father. The Bible very clearly teaches that God has a special love for those who believe in Jesus Christ. God loves you because you have loved me and you have believed him, the Father, when he said he has sent me to you. God has a special love for his children. The Bible says, for if any man puts his faith or receives Jesus Christ, to them he gives right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, that we enter into a unique and special relationship. God loves all people, but there's also a special love for those who are his children. That's not hard to understand. Stop and think about it. We may have love for one another, but there are certain people that we have a special love for that's different than the love that we have for others. We have a special love for those who are closest to us. We have a special love for those who are in our family. We have a special love that is different than a general love that we can have for everyone. And God is no different when he says, I love all people, even those who reject me I love, but those who embrace me or receive me, I have a special love for them. The Bible also says this, that God loves his son. When Jesus was being baptized, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That the Father has a special love for His Son, Jesus Christ. It's critical to understand that. Because as we see how does God demonstrate His love for us, we begin to realize if God has a special love for His Son, and He has a special love for those who believe in His Son, and He has a general love for those whom He has created, there is something different that differentiates us from one another. So, does God really care? The question is, absolutely, but we need to understand why. But how does he show it? Let me, let, you know what, I, we, we've talked about this, and it's so true, in every area of life, talk is cheap. The easiest thing in the world to say to someone is, I love you. Fact, watch, on three, say this, I love you. Just say it. One, two, three. No, 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 no. See, now you didn't really mean it. I didn't really feel it. Say, so I do it again, on three. One, two, three. Now you're getting closer. You're getting closer. We'll just do it one more time. One, two, three. I and I love you too. So, see, and, and it, it wasn't that hard. It really, was it that hard? Now, for some people, it's really hard. I mean, if you've grown up in a household where it was, you know, that's something that you just didn't say to one another. I mean, that's really hard. And you see people that struggle with that. <laughs> or, you know, you know, the guys that just kind of punch their sons, you know, it's like, yeah, you know. You know what? Yeah, you know. What? Nah, you know. You know, and it's just like some people can't say, but it's really easy to say for many people. It's just is lip service. 
Now the question is, does God really care? Well, God says, I love you, but does he really care? Is it just lip service? Is it the right thing to say? In 1 John, flip to the end of the Bible there, 1 John chapter 3, look at what he has to say about true love. 1 John chapter 3, and we're ready to get into this. 1 John 3, look at verse 16. We know love by this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see what he's saying? Hey, the easiest thing in the world is to tell somebody, hey, I love you. The most difficult thing at times to do is to demonstrate or back up that love. When Jesus was teaching this principle in the parable of what we call the Good Samaritan, he asked the question to those who were listening, which one of the people who walked by the man who was brutally robbed and beaten really loved him or showed compassion on him? And it was the Samaritan who did something about it, who took action. Didn't just say, hey, I love you, be warm and fed and walk by him said, no, you know what, I'll demonstrate my love for you in that I'll show you action. And so the wonderful thing is, God is not hypocritical, and he is not a liar. And if he says, Chuck, I love you, I will also demonstrate my love for you, but oftentimes, well, the way I demonstrate it, you don't even see it. You follow that? God is continually demonstrating his love for people, and oftentimes, we don't even see it, because we're not looking for how he demonstrates it. That's the wonderful thing about the Bible. So as we ask the question, how does God show his love? Is it lip service or does he demonstrate it in some practical and tangible way? And the answer should be obvious. If he requires us to demonstrate love for one another in our actions, would he not also have that same standard which he applies to himself? I will demonstrate my love for you I will not just tell you I love you, but you will know that I love you by how I demonstrate that love. And so we'll take a look at just five ways that God shows his love for people. And, uh, and go through them and stop and think with me for a moment and go, wow, you know what? This is something I never really thought about. Number one, God demonstrates his love by impartial actions. We ask the question, does God really love all people? God answers that question by saying this to his disciples in Matthew 5, verses 43 and 45. He says this, Well, you've heard that it was said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you want people around you to know that God loves them? Then we need to treat them as God treats them. Now this passage is incredible when you think about the truth that's being, uh, that's being explained here. Because really what, what's happening here is God saying, you know what, if you want people to realize that you're a child of mine, then treat them the same way that I treat people. And that is, you know what, God is impartial in many ways. He treats believers and non-believers the same in many ways. And as you go through it, you say, wow, you know what? It's easy for me to love people who love me. It's easy for me to love people who encourage me. 
It's easy for me to love people who build me up. It's easy for, to love people who reciprocate in some way. I love you and demonstrate it. You love me and demonstrate it. Man, you know what? It's the easiest thing in the world to love someone like that. The hardest people to love are the people that are just a thorn in your side. Pain in the neck. They just wear you out. They drive you crazy. Those are the hardest people in the world to love. And what happens is we tend to treat one another differently based upon that truth. If you are good to me, I'm good to you. If you're a pain in my neck, I don't want anything to do with you. And I'm certainly not going to be good to you the same way I'm good to you because you demonstrate that you love me and it's reciprocal and you demonstrate that you don't. You may even despise me and reject me. And therefore, why would I be nice to you or treat you as well as someone that's good to me? Isn't that the way we think? But what God is saying is, wait, no, 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 you're missing something here. I treat everyone impartially in many ways. And let me demonstrate it to you. Hey, doesn't the, don't I send rain on both ungodly and godly people? The principle doesn't stop there. What he's saying is, you know what? Hey, this is what's, see, this is what's different about you and I, or, or not you and I, but me, us and God, is that we kind of go like this. Well, you know what? If you don't love me, I ain't sending no rain on your farm. Right? Sun's not shining on your house. You'd be like driving down the street. Sun would be shining on somebody else's house. It wouldn't be shining on your neighbor's house. That's the way we think. See, but God says, you know what? Hey, godly, ungodly, those who love me, those who despise me, those who reject me can walk outside and enjoy the warmth of the sun. And that's how I demonstrate to non-believers that I still love them. How else do I demonstrate it? If they go out and work hard in the field and I send rain and you got a Christian living one in one farm and you got a non-Christian living on the other farm and it's all in the same neighborhood and guess what? If it rains on one, it rains on the other. If the sun shines on one, it shines on the other. If, if one is blessed, the other is blessed. If there's a harvest on one, there's a harvest on the other. God demonstrates his love for people who despise and reject him by treating them the same way he treats those who have put their faith and trust in him. Now, what we, we think as Christians, that's not fair. Right? Think about this. God, I mean, think what God could do. Listen, you either believe in my son or it ain't raining on your house anymore. You either believe in my son or you're not going to get any more oxygen. Hey, hey, there's some ultimate clout. You believe in my son, Jesus Christ, as forgiveness for your sins or gravity's not going to work for you anymore. See, God doesn't do that. He demonstrates his love for everybody by treating all of us equally. Even though we don't have a concept of that because we have double standards, but God doesn't. You know, I love that as I read this, I begin to realize, you know what? Even if you are here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or you're listening to this on a tape, realize this truth, God loves you, and he demonstrates his love for you, and that he treats you the same way as he treats those who have accepted him. He treats those who despise him the same way as those who love him and have received him. God is trying to get your attention, but you don't even see it because you don't even realize that truth. God is impartial. He loves you, and he's trying to get a hold of that truth in your life so that you understand it. Man, I love that. It's all impartial. It's easy to love others, and it's easy to love believers most of the time. But you stop and think about it. It's easier to love those who believe in Jesus Christ, who are part of the family of God, than it is to love those who are outside the family of God. Those are the easiest people in the world not to love. Why? Because they don't think like we do. Oftentimes, oftentimes, 
Oftentimes, they don't act like we do. They don't think the way we do. They don't have the same desires that we have. And that's, therefore, we become very judgmental or we lose our objectivity because they're different than us. But we're different than them. And what a wonderful illustration of the love of God that we can demonstrate toward another person and that we would all treat one another impartially, whether believer or unbeliever. If you own a company and you have people who work for you, are there a double standard between those who are believers and non-believers? Or is there an equal standard for all? If we live in a society and it's important to realize that our standard of justice should be equally applied to all, whether believer or non-believer. We should never have a double standard at any time in any area of life, for God doesn't. He demonstrates his love for us by impartial acts so that all people will know that God loves them. Are you impartial? Am I impartial? Man, that's some real personal, practical stuff to have to deal with. Or is there a double standard in each one of our lives? Number two, we know this, that he also demonstrates his love when he disciplines us. God demonstrates his love when he disciplines us. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, we read this. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. I don't know about you, but I've never been too crazy about discipline. Either receiving it or handing it out. It's not a whole bunch of fun. I mean, how many of you have small children? How many of you know the value of disciplining your children? All right? How many of you just get tired of doing it? How many of you think, well, someday I'm going to get turned into somebody? I know it. <laughs> I'm like worn out. I'm just tired. You know, I'm just, this is just wearing me out. And then the more kids you have and the more there is you have to deal with, the, the, the tighter you get. And you just get to the point of wrestling with, you know what, though? But it's a battle worth fighting. See, it's interesting. I, was, I heard uh, Jim Dobson the other day on something that he was talking about. But anyway, you know, he made this point. He said, you know, as our children are younger, it's our responsibility to train them, to teach them, to rebuke them, to correct them, to give them the right direction to go, to explain to them and teach them the difference between right and wrong. And as they get older and they enter their adolescence, what happens is a lot of the responsibility then shifts from the parent to the child and that they have to begin to take responsibility for their actions. And I like that because it's so true. We have a short period of time, a window of time to do the things that God requires us to do. And one of those things is if you love your children, you'll discipline them because you know how important it is to teach them what's right and wrong. But as they grow older and we lose control and there isn't as many things that we can do anymore, then the responsibility begins to shift onto their shoulders where they become responsible for their actions, whether they do that which is right before God or wrong before God. See, and what God is saying is, if you can understand how important it is to discipline your children, can you not understand how important it is for God to discipline us? If God truly cares, he will discipline us. And the Bible clearly teaches us, you know what? Sometimes we forget that this is a demonstration of God's love. I remember the first time I ever got paddled in school. Football coach. I was like fourth grade. It's like, come on now. This guy was huge. He had a big old Popeye forearms and stuff. And, uh, you know, and, it was, and he gave me that, you know, the line. You know what? I'm doing this because I care about you. I, I felt, you know, I just wanted to say, 
I don't need you to care about me. I got some friends, you know? And it was like, but I'm doing this because I care about you. And some of the things that you're doing are leading you down the wrong road. And you know what? He was right. And man, after he got done wailing on me, it was like, I knew that road wasn't one I wanted to travel. That was a rocky road, you know? And it wasn't ice cream we're talking about here. So as we look at this, we begin to understand that we forget. Have you forgotten that word of encouragement that as a child of God, that the fact that God cares about you, he's going to discipline you? How many of you ever thought this? I go through one red light and I get a ticket. One time. And it wasn't really all that red. It was reddish yellowish. You know what I mean? One time. I talked to kids. You know what? I had one time I had a beer and I get caught. One time I tried to smoke, a, you know, just sneak out back and smoke a cigarette, and I got caught. One time I went through the red light, and I got caught. One time I tried to add something to my expense account, the only time I've ever done it, and I got caught. One time I did this, and I got caught. You know what? That's just not fair. No, but you know what it is? It's God's love. He loved you enough to stop you before you got rolling. One time, when was the last time you got caught and you said one time, instead of saying that's not fair, said thank you Lord for loving me so much that you stopped me from going the direction I thought I could go. Man, not many of us, huh? See, that's what it is. Because see, God wants us to live in victory in every area of our life. God disciplines us because he knows the path we're going down. Since he knows all things, he sees the end result. If we continue to travel that route, the problems, the emotional distress, the physical problems, all the junk that comes with it, he knows that. And sometimes he just steps in and says, you're not going down there, and I'm going to stop you before you go too far. See, God's discipline demonstrates to us that he really does care about us. Since God loves us, he must discipline us. Since you love your children, you must discipline them. It makes sense for us, but we struggle with it as being, does God really care about me? And the answer is very simple, yes, he does. And he's going to do anything that he can to stop you from destroying your testimony, from destroying your life, and he's going to nip it in the bud because he loves you. And he disciplines those he loves. Number three, we know he also demonstrates his love, as we saw in 1 John chapter 3. Also, in Romans 5, 8 and 1 John 4, 9 and 10, God demonstrates his love through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes that significance is lost. I don't know if you rehash or go over or remember what you were like before you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Having an opportunity to give my testimony or share my testimony at different places, every time I do it, it's a reminder, though here it is 18 years later, it is a reminder to me on a regular basis what God has done in my life. God loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me while I was still in my sins. 
when I was making fun of Christians who were trying to tell me how much God loved me, when I was calling people Jesus freaks and telling them to shut up and sit down, when I was drinking and doing things that weren't really in the best interest of my family, when I was talking like a dirty sailor, when I was trying to please myself at the expense of my wife and my kids, when I was doing all those things and I was as I was, Jesus died for me because I was the way I was. See, God demonstrates his love for the world and that he says, you know what, there's nothing that you can do about sin. I've done it for you and I've demonstrated my love for you because I've sent my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. I sent him to die for you. I don't know if we realize that sometimes, what a great demonstration of God's love that really is. That he loved us and said, there's nothing you can do about your condition. You're hopelessly lost forever, but I'll take care of it for you. That's how much I love you and that I would offer up someone that I love, my beloved son. Even when you despise me, even when you were laughing at those who shared my love with you, even when you rejected me, even when you had nothing to do with me and felt in your prideful heart that you could do it on your own, even with all those things true of your life, I still loved you enough to do what was best for you if you would just choose to accept the gift I have to offer. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 said, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves us by demonstrating impartially that he loves all people. Believer, non-believer, white, black, yellow, red, doesn't really make any difference. Rich, poor, God loves everyone and he's impartial toward all of us. That he also disciplined those who are his children. And he sent his son to die for all of us, for all of humanity, for those who would receive that gift. He has a special type of love that he designates for us. We also know this, that God demonstrates his love by sustaining us in times of trial and suffering. You know, one of the, one of the great truths of God's love is that I can only experience it when I'm going through very difficult times. I don't really sense your love for me until I'm going through a difficult time. It's easy to love people that aren't going through tough times. But it becomes difficult when you know that they need your love. That they're going through illness or suffering or financial reversals or something's going on in their life. They're struggling with an addiction. They run into another problem. You know, it's easy to love people who don't need your love. The hardest people to love are the people that are in need of your love the most. And that's when we need to love one another more than anything. But see, what God is saying, you know what? If I did away with all suffering and sickness and illness, and I will one day, and our great hope is when Jesus comes again, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more tears. But that hope is in the hope to come. It has nothing to do with here and now. God demonstrates his love right now by sustaining us in times of trial and suffering. You don't feel the love of God embrace you until you're going through difficult times. And when the world looks at you and says, how are you dealing with this? How are you going through this? How are you managing? Are you okay? And you've got this, this just an, an inexplicable peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you can say, you know what? I can't explain it to you, but I just sense God's presence through this situation. I can just feel God's embrace and his warmth. 
so many times, in fact, Mark and I were talking the other day, that an artist was, uh, was uh, sanctioned to, to picture a painting of how God demonstrates his peace to those who put their trust and faith in him. You know, we often think about, you know, Psalm 23, oh, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want, you know, the, the meadow scene and the little river going through the middle and all that. And let me tell you something, that may be our picture of heaven, but it ain't nothing like what's going on here on earth. And so his picture was a very raging storm with waves 15 to 20 feet crashing onto the rocks. The sky was dark and ominous, and it looked like, you know, a hurricane was coming, and it was just battering the shoreline. And his picture of how God brings his peace into our life was there was a little bird in one of the rocks, and there was a nest in that rock. And the bird was sitting there on the nest, sitting on its eggs, and it was just watching the storm, and it just had a peaceful look. And that was what his picture of how God sustains us in times of suffering and in times of trial. And isn't that the truth? When King David was being chased by Saul's army, he was hiding in the rocks. He was in the clefts of the rocks, and he was hiding. And, and Saul's army was within arm reach of David as he hid from them. And he said, within that, you know what? Cease striving and know that I'm God. Saul's army was looking all over the place for him, and they couldn't find him, and he was just right there. And they could have reached down and grabbed him. They could have slew him. But you know what? God protected him, and he offered his peace to him, and he sustained him through the times of suffering and trial. And it was in, in those times that he felt God's love more than in any other time in his life. But see, the God of Rabbi Kushner would say, no, God can't use those things for any good purpose. He must be limited if he really cares. No, God's saying that it's in those times when I demonstrate much greater my love for you. How can you go through the things that you go through? I had a friend who played for the Cleveland Indians who lost his wife and three children in a car accident. And he said, and if someone would have told me in two weeks your wife and three children will be killed in a car accident, how will you be able to handle it? He said, I would have went to pieces. I wouldn't be able to handle it. There's no way I could ever project how I would handle something like that. But he said, all I can tell you is that God's grace is sufficient in times of weakness. For when we are weak, then he makes us strong. Isn't that the truth? But so many of us pray, God, deliver me from this. I don't want to experience this. There's heretical teaching even in the church today that says, you know what? No, that's not God. He won't allow you to suffer. He won't allow you to be in distress. All you've got to do is name it and claim it and whatever it. And God's saying, you, you don't understand. You're missing out on so much of who I am. When you try to eliminate the things in, my, in your life that I have let happen to you because I can do all things, I've chosen not to do all things so that I can love you through this. Why was this man born blind? Did he sin or his father? No. Why? So that God could be glorified through that situation. You see, that's what we don't want to have to deal with. But I'm telling you what, having been through those times and going through times that we all struggle and suffer, man, I feel the love of God more in times of distress than I do in times of prosperity. I have a peace during times of distress that I don't have during times of prosperity. In fact, most of us, when we're prospering, forgot all about God. And that's his warning to us. You're going to forget about me. You're going to get prideful. You're going to think you did it, but you didn't do it. Number five, and finally, God shows his love by being patient with us. 2 Peter 3, 9, I love it. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone coming to a repentance. God is patient with us. Think about how many times in your life you know God loves you and he disciplines you, but he also gives you an opportunity to repent before he steps in with the paddle. He's patient. 
There are many times in life that he allows us to continue going that way. Why? Because he knows all things. He knows you are different than me. He knows I may have to take a few more steps before I learn the lesson he's trying to teach me. But he knows that you may stop right then and there and learn exactly what you need to know. God is patient with us. It says he is long-suffering. He is slow to boil. The word patient or long-suffering is one that always refers to people, never to things or situations. I like that. You know why? Because God sustains all things. He doesn't have to be patient toward things because all things are in his control. But he's patient towards people. Why? Because we're stiff-necked, we're proud, we're stubborn, we're rebellious, and we want to do our own thing. And therefore, he's patient with us. He allows us to learn things while stepping in and disciplining us at the proper time. And if we as parents know how to discipline our children, and we don't even know all things, and God knows all things, then he is a perfect disciplinarian, and he knows exactly when to step in. So he knows when to be patient and when to do something. I love that. That's comforting. I don't know about you, but it's great to know he's not messing things up when he steps in. He's patient with us. He's impartial towards everyone. He disciplines those who are his children. I mean, he sent his son for all of us, for the world, so that we may put our faith and trust in him. As we go through all these things, through distressing times and times of persecution, he demonstrates his love by bringing a peace that surpasses all understanding and that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And it's through those difficult times that the Apostle Paul said, you know what, and it was through all that that I learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the last thing is he's patient with us. And I like that because, you know what, it's hard to be patient with one another. You ever notice that like God brings people into your life to teach you that principle? They always work at fast food restaurants. <laughs> I swear. I, I mean, it's like in fast food restaurants. Is there, you know, is there an oxymoron there somewhere? Fast food. You know, it's like, come on now. You know, but God brings people into our life. He always he allows me to get in the wrong line at the bank. It always happens. Why? Because I'm impatient. I want everything to happen now. Let's get going. Let's get rolling. Let's make it happen. It's like, well, stand in this line. And, and I even play that game. It's like, I want to go in this line? <laughs> so I go over this line, you know, real fast. It's like, oh, I fake God out. <laughs> you know, and sure enough, there you go. It's like someone, then I pull up a big roll of $7,000 in coins. And then they start writing their account number on it. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, and it's, some, it's like, but, but God is patient with us. And I love that. Because we're not patient with one another. We don't understand how patient God really is. Let me close with this story, true story. That'll help you to understand maybe a little more that if we are loving toward one another, then it's easy for others to believe that God loves them. It was on a quiet December evening. It was in the oncology unit at Georgetown University Hospital. There was a man who was lying critically ill. The patient was Jack Swigert, who, was, uh, who had piloted the Apollo, 11, Apollo 13 lunar mission in 1970, and he was now congressman-elect from Colorado's 6th Congressional District. He had, uh, he had cancer, which obviously is the great leveler of all people, and it was waging a war on his body. And while he was dying, there was a tall, quiet visitor who stood over his bed. He pulled up a chair, and he sat next to him. And he was there almost every night. The man who came to visit him was Bill Armstrong, who was a U.S. Senator from Colorado, and he was the chairman of the Senate subcommittee, which at the time was handling Washington's hottest issue, which was Social Security. So he's probably one of the busiest men in Washington at that particular time, but there he was at the bed of his friend. He wasn't visiting as a politician. He was visiting as a friend who was visiting another friend who was dying of cancer. He sensed a responsibility because he felt that if he really loved him, he must demonstrate it in some practical way. 
So that night he leaned over the bed and he said, Jack, you know, God loves you. And I love you too. You're surrounded by friends who are praying for you all the time. And you're going to be all right. Jack couldn't even respond. He was close to death. So Bill sat down and he pulled a chair close and he opened his Bible and he began reading Psalm 23. He read in a steady voice, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Time passed. He said, Psalm 150. He began and his skin kind of prickled and the hair stood up on the back of his neck as Jack groaned and uttered and finally he realized his friend had passed away. He watched the nurse examine him. He knew that he was dead. And the conclusion was, uh, this particular story was that, you know, politicians are pretty busy people, especially Senate committee chairman. Yet it had never occurred to Bill Armstrong that he was too busy to be at the hospital. There was nothing dramatic. There was nothing heroic about his decision. He was just a man who was a friend doing what he felt a friend should do in a friend's time of need. And I like that because, you know what, when you stop and think about what holiness is, that we're to live in a holy life. Holiness is obeying God, and it means loving one another as God loved us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you do care, that you are concerned about everything in our life, that you do know all things, that you can do all things, that you are everywhere present at once. We know all those things are true because you tell us that they're true. Your word tells us that, and we know that in you there's no darkness at all, that you cannot lie, that you cannot do wrong. You cannot deceive us. You're telling us truth. We know that you also tell us that the truth will set us free. God, and we're thankful that you are a God who is all those things and also a God of love. That you are a God who's concerned about every person, and you demonstrate it by being impartial to all of us, whether believer or not that you sustain us in times of distress and in difficulties, and you show us that it's in our weakness that your power is perfected, that we can get strength in times of weakness that is supernatural and comes only from you and not from ourselves. And we thank you for allowing us to go through those times so that we can get closer to you. Father, we just thank you that you are who you are and that you've revealed who you are to us so that we can know you you tell us if we truly know you that the love of God will be made known through us to others. God, help us to be people who learn to love one another as you have loved us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.